In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's a hymn stanza from a hymn that we sang a couple weeks ago, and that we also sang every day this past week in morning matins with the children. It goes like this. God oft gives me days of gladness. Shall I grieve if he give seasons too of sadness? God is good and tempers ever all my ill, and he will wholly leave me never. To temper is to control. We talk about keeping our temper, losing our temper. It means to lose control or keep control. God controls everything. He's able to lessen or increase at will whatever he permits us to suffer. That's what it means to temper all our ill. He's got control over everything for our good. He is, as we just heard from St. James, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from him. It comes from above, where he sits at the right hand or rather, where his son sits at his right hand, he is our Father in heaven. He gives us days of gladness, but he also sends seasons of sadness. We see variation. We see shadows of change. But we do not judge who God is by what we see, but by what he says, so that we might learn from all the variation and all the shadows that we see. Jesus says to his disciples, Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Variation and shadow of change. That's what they see ahead. And they don't know what to learn from it. A season of sadness now threatens to rob the disciples of their day of gladness. And so they are sad because they do not ask where he is going. They should have. They don't consider what great advantage there is in Jesus, the light of the world. Their day of gladness departing from them. And this is because they as yet had a very worldly understanding of joy and sorrow. They still had much to learn, but they could not bear it yet. They hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit, so Jesus promised to send him. He calls him the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Then they could bear it when he comforts them. You and I can bear it because we have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word. He comforts us with the truth. By teaching us the value of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit teaches us to interpret all variation and change in life, not by how it looks or feels in the moment, but with the cross in mind. He comforts us by giving us a heavenly perspective. During the Easter season, we hear and focus on words that Jesus spoke to his disciples right before he died. He prepares them for sorrow. But the sorrow he prepares them for is not simply the sorrow of his death, a sorrow which we cannot really know as they did. 
We don't simply repeat the story so that we feel what they felt. No, there's something bigger going on in the lessons that we learn. And there's a reason why we consider these words before Pentecost and after Easter. No, the sorrow primarily that he addresses is the sorrow of his departure when he is seen no more. It is the sorrow of seeing him ascend into heaven and not seeing him anymore. It is the sorrow of living by faith, which, through their word, they themselves have taught us to do. There is sorrow in living by faith. We want to see. We were made to see. We want to feel and experience and find our certainty and conviction based upon what we have seen and felt. We are earthly creatures, after all. But we were not made for this earth. This earth was made for us. There's a difference. The curse God spoke when man fell into sin was very insightful. God cursed man to return to the ground whence he was taken, but not because he was thence taken, but because he trusted in it. Man chose to worship the creation instead of the creator, so God cursed man to return to that in which he trusts. You trust in dust, in what what you are made of rather than who made you. You trust in dirt, you trust in gold and silver, return to it. But Jesus came to bring us back to God. He redeemed us not with gold and silver, but with his holy, precious blood. He brings us back to God by teaching us to trust in God. Those who trust in God return to God. We trust in God by finding our source in God. He who made us also redeemed us. The word became flesh to save us. And by his imperishable word, God begets us again to a living hope. He makes us a kind of first fruits of his creation. We who have received the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And that is to say that he redeemed all creation by redeeming us. All creation must now serve us, whether it seems to be hurting and depriving us or not. Even if not giving particular delight, therefore, even the very unpleasant things in creation must, at the very least, Even if it doesn't please our sight and feelings, it must at the very least teach us something wonderful. How better can creation serve us, therefore, than by echoing what God would teach us? This morning I'd like to take a look at something in God's splendid creation that can teach us just such a lesson. Look at something like a sunset. Would we not all generally agree that it is foolish and ungrateful to complain and get sad once a beautiful sunset fades away and it turns dark? As though all beauty is now vanished forever. How silly, right? I have seen sunsets, and so have you, perhaps, where even hours into the evening, with the lantern glowing in the porch, that somebody remarks on what a beautiful day it was and how it was crowned by such a glorious sunset, There's no resentment that it's gone. No, but from this we learn, as we learned last week, the purpose of crosses 
the purpose of the sunset and the sun being gone. We learn, first of all, to be grateful for the day of gladness while it was. We learn to be grateful for the moment that God permitted us to enjoy, even after it's taken away. We learn to say, even in the artificial light of a porch lamp, how beautiful the day was, how beautiful the sunset was, how good God was to let us have whatever now is faded away. And so when we sit in darkness and gloom and mourn over departed joys, we reflect with joyous hearts on what God once gave to us. He is the Father of lights, and he gives us glimmers of light on earth because he loves us. These glimmers fade, but he does not. We are made for him, not for the earth. The other purpose of a cross, as we considered last week, is, is when something is gone and we are now sad because that thing is gone, that God would teach us in this way not to worship the good gift, but to worship him, the perfect gift. To know him and to love him so that we who are made of clay, and God knows it, might learn not to worship what fades with variation and shadows of change, but to long for him instead, who stays the same. God knows we're inclined to love the temporal and the earthy. So he takes away bits of creation to remind us to trust instead in our creator, in whom there is no change or decay. It is a kind of remind it is a kind reminder really. It is very gentle. If God tried to teach you everything all at once, you wouldn't be able to bear it. It would hurt like the face of Moses. It would melt you. And so God teaches you slowly through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. We call these momentary afflictions crosses because they direct our hearts to our creator who became one with us, one with his own creation in order to bear a cross to rescue us from perishing in our sin. Crosses teach us to love the perfect gift more than any good gift. Nobody curses a sunset in the darkness after enjoying a beautiful day. No, but we hold on to that sunset in our memory and thank God for the opportunity to see it. Likewise, the purpose of the darkness itself, the purpose of gloom and sadness, the purpose of the cross, the seeming absence of joy when the sun is taken away, is for us to consider what we sing in the hymn. The glorious sun is banished. Its, its golden rays are banished by night the foe of day. But Christ, the son of gladness, dispelling all my sadness, within my heart hold constant sway. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life, even when it is night. Jesus teaches us to see the darkness of night as an enemy of the day, and yet not to be afraid of it. He teaches us to live in the world, and yet not to be afraid of the world, but to cling to him who overcame the world and who reconciles us to the Father of lights. We have peace with our Creator, from whom all good things come. 
So we do not curse the darkness, as the saying goes. We light a candle. We remember Christ. We remember what he has taught us in his word, which is a lamp to our path. The one who makes the sun rise again tomorrow is at peace with you, for Jesus' sake. Now, the world has some things to learn, doesn't it? The world thinks it has progressed so marvelously in the last few hundred years. As they mock those ancient pagans who once worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars, or perhaps a high mountain. Oh, how silly of them. And yet the mountain is more sturdy than what men worship today. The planets and stars are more dependable and interesting than those things that pass away today. And so, while we must condemn such foolishness in worshiping creation rather than the creator, the world still has much to learn. And so we see Jesus' promise here with great comfort to us that it is to our advantage for him to go away because then the Holy Spirit will convict the world of three things. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now how does he do it? He convicts the world of sin first. We have a bad connotation with this word convict. We think of maybe a convict. Or we think of like when you feel guilty and you say, oh, I'm convicted. But the word is really the same as the word for convince. He persuades the world of sin. And how does he persuade the world of sin? Well, he persuades the world of sin because they do not believe in him. That's what he says, because they do not believe in me. So the world is convicted of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. So then think of what this means our conviction is. When we are convicted of sin, when we feel like the convict, the guilty, the one who deserves to perish, we believe in Jesus. We have the light with us at all times because we have his word. Jesus tells us that he bears our sin, that he makes peace between us and God. We believe in him. So what to do with this conviction of sin? We see Jesus bear it. The only sin left for the world to be convicted of is the sin that Jesus bore. And so the only sin that can possibly condemn anyone is the sin of rejecting Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. And why? Because I go to my Father and you see me no more, he says. Well, what does this mean? Well, the world looks for righteousness in what it can see. That's why the world worships creation and thinks that it is broadening its horizons by worshiping creation which is high above us and the planets or whatever it might be. The world looks for its righteousness and what it can manipulate and control. And the world likes to talk of its own righteousness. They are very swift to speak, but not so eager to listen. And so the world commands that its righteousness be praised. But so do we. The only difference is, is that we are content not to see our righteousness. 
He convicts the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. You don't see your righteousness. You don't feel it. But God says that you're wearing it. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And you see him no more. The disciples were sad, but we are not. Because we have the Comforter convicting us, convincing us that our righteousness is secure in heaven. Where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Finally, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Now what does this mean? Well, he says this happens because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the devil. He presumes to be in charge of God's creation. He presumes to be the one trying to teach you something or another. When he sends terrors and horrors and crosses for you to bear, when he controls creation to hurt you, but he is judged so that however creation might hurt you and refuse to delight you, however little control you have over the world's wealth or your own health, the devil wants to treat you as though you are a sinner forgotten by God, as though you have no righteousness, that you're naked before God. But he's a liar. He convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He has proven to be the deceiver he is. He tells us that we should be afraid of God, that we should not trust him when we suffer. Why? Why should we believe the devil? He doesn't control creation. He is the ruler of this world, but he is not the father of lights, from whom every good gift and every perfect gift comes. No, we say to the devil who would teach us to conclude falsely about our sin and about righteousness, we say, no, you are judged, devil. You're a liar. My sins have been borne by my Lord Jesus. My righteousness is safely preserved for me where Jesus is. There my sin is forgotten in heaven, and there my righteousness reigns. And though I do not see it because the sun has already set, yet I see its beauty when it, when it did set. I saw it, and I'm still thanking God for what he showed me. And my candle is lit. It is not I who am cursed. I have the day with me. You are cursed, devil. I know all I need to know about judgment. I know Jesus who does not judge me but saves me. So even when he takes away the joy of living, and yet, even in darkness, I will still be praising him. Because I know that this darkness that covers all the land is judgment on you and not on me. Because all creation is forced to teach me something wonderful. That even in my sorrows, God would teach me even one little lesson. To trust in him. To trust in him to whom Jesus went to reconcile me. I have a light that still gives me light. And that shows me the splendor of the everlasting day, even until morning. When the morning star rises in my heart. When Jesus returns again and my heart is filled with joy when I see him. For then I will appear even as he is. And know him even as he has known me. The devil is judged. 
which means that what the Holy Spirit teaches me about sin and righteousness is true. He teaches me about Jesus. He teaches me not to worship creation, not to worship God in my own way by finding God where he doesn't promise to be. No, he teaches me to worship God by hearing his word. I cannot bear it all right now, and neither can you. It is a slow lesson we must learn. And he teaches us. Under the cross, when we sorrow because we see him no more, and yet we look for the perfect day, we know the sun will rise because we know him who went to the Father to save us. And so this is the lesson among many that we learn in these beautiful texts which we have read. It is to the Father of lights, the Lord of creation, the maker of heaven and earth, to whom we are reconciled, by him who is the light of light. And through the word of the Holy Spirit, his light remains with us to guide us all the way to the perfect day. Jesus died on the cross to take our sins away. Darkness covered all the earth in order that his unchanging light might always envelop us. It is the Father of lights to whom Jesus has now ascended, and he gives gifts to us, perfect gifts, because all that the Father has is his. And it is the Holy Spirit who comes from the Father of lights in Jesus' name, who gives to us all that we need, both joy and sadness. And if we do not get the good gifts that we'd like, Longer youth, which is better than longer life, property, honor, or something worthy of envy and praise from the world, some control over creation. If we are deprived of all these things, shall we grieve if he give us, gives us seasons too of sadness? No, because we know and worship the God who controls everything. He tempers all our ill and he will wholly leave us never. And how do you know? even when the sun is set and it is dark, because you have his light, you have his word, and you are convinced through suffering, through joys, to treat these two imposters the same and to fix all your future and all your hopes on what God says is true. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts, strengthening our conviction and teaching us to listen to the word and believe it. We who are a kind of first fruits of his creation have also received the first fruits of our Lord's victory. We have the Holy Spirit. We have him through the word. And he comforts us. In Jesus' name, amen.